0: So, Alexander Salome, it does rule for a period of about nine years. She is Aristobulus' widow. She is Genias's, Aristobulus's half-brother's wife by leveret marriage. She is Israel's only queen in the intertestamental period. Her eldest son, Hyrcanus II, becomes high priest because there's one thing she can't be, that's a high priest. And she does work out this agreement with the Pharisees. Who gain a political voice and it works. There's peace with the Pharisees and she is able to establish, reestablish the Hasmonean rule and authority. Their place in the Sanhedrin leads to rivalry when she dies. And this sets up the arrival of Rome. In fact, what it sets up is a battle between two brothers, Hyrcanus II and Aristobulus II. In the period between 67 and 63 BC, the culmination of which is the, listen to this, invitation to the Romans to come <clears throat> into Jerusalem. They're invited in. Help us. Things are too chaotic. Aristobulus II, who is the more ruthless of the two brothers, drives Tanus out, the second out, who is the rightful heir, but the weaker character from Jerusalem. Hyrcanus II gets Nabataean and Idumean help from Antipater. We're now into the family of Herod the Great with Antipater to help besiege Jerusalem. Both sides appeal to Rome and to Pompey for help. Pompey had just defeated the Seleucids in Syria. Okay, so you can see how this dance works. Rome is over Syria. When Syria departs from the scene, Rome is now over the entire area directly as opposed to indirectly before with their influence over the Syrians. Here is a picture, uh, a a rendition, and I think I can lower these lights a little bit. I'm going to do that. Here is uh, a rendition of what Second Temple uh, Jerusalem looked like. You can see the temple area here in the middle. Uh, You can see um, that the city is surrounded by multiple walls. At least, if you're going to get to the temple, you've got to get over at least two walls uh, plus the temple mount, plus ascend the temple mount. So defensively, the temple is in a pretty well defended position for the most part. Now. Pompey is invited into Jerusalem. He engages in a siege. He works out an agreement initially to come into the city, but then some of the soldiers in the city uh, react to the agreement and don't let him in, and so he just sits there until he finally decides to come in. And this is uh, portrayed for us in Josephus' Antiquities, book 14. Now, when Pompey had pitched his camp at Jericho, Jericho is down the road about, uh, just about 20 miles away from Jerusalem, where the palm trees grow. It's right on the edge of the northern edge of the, just across from the northern edge of the Dead Sea, uh, where the palm trees grow and the balsam, which an ointment, which is an ointment from all the most precious, which upon any incision made in the wood with a sharp stone distills out from there like juice. He marched in the morning to Jerusalem, Then Aristobulus repented of what he was doing and came to Pompey and promised to give him money. There's always money and dealings involved in this. And receive him into Jerusalem and desired that he would leave off the war and do what he pleased peaceably. So Pompey, upon his entreaty, forgave him and sent Gabanias and the soldiers with him to receive the money and the city. I mean, you're a general and someone says, hey, I'll hand you the city here's some money, you don't even have to fight to take it. As they say, what a deal. Yet was no part of this performed. The Gabanias came back being both excluded out of the city and receiving none of the money promised. Now imagine, you're told you can take the city, we're gonna give you money. You get there to take the city and to get the money, you're told get out of the city, you're getting no money, you're not happy. Okay, this is not rocket science because Aristobulus' soldiers would not permit the agreements to be executed. At this, Pompey was, to use a German phrase, nicht froh," which means not happy. He's very angry. And put Aristobulus into prison, and came himself to the city, which was strong on every side, excepting the north, which was not so well fortified. For there was a broad and deep ditch that encompassed the city, and included within it the temple, which itself was encompassed about with a very strong stone wall showed you that picture earlier. Now when there was sedition of the men that were within the city who did not agree what was to be done in their present circumstances, while th- some thought it best to deliver up the city to Pompey, what this is communicating to you is there's chaos in Jerusalem. Some people want to invite the Romans in and some people want, don't want them in at all. But Aristobulus's party exhorted them to shut the gates because he was kept in prison. Now these prevented the others and seized upon these present prevented the others and seized upon the temple and cut off the bridge which reached from it to the city and prepared themselves to abide or to sit or to remain in a siege but the others admitted Pompey's army in and delivered up both the city and the king's palace to him so Pompey sent his lieutenant Piso with an army and placed garrisons both in the city and in the palace to secure them and fortified the houses that joined to the temple and all those which were more distant and without it. And so Pompey, literally, is escorted into Jerusalem by certain Jews who are tired of the Hasmonean rule. Now, Pompey has heard about the temple, and so he wants to go see it. Of the Jews there fell 12,000, but of the Romans, very few. Absalom, who is at once both uncle and father-in-law to Aristobulus was taken captive, and no small enormities were committed about the temple itself, which in former ages had been inaccessible and seen by none. For Pompey went into it, and not a few of those that were with him also, and saw all uh, that which is unlawful for any other men to see, but only for the high priest. Now imagine you're Jewish, and this happens. Not only are you overtaken by foreign rulers, not only does that indicate uh, evidence of unfaithfulness. But the very holy place itself is defiled by the presence of a pagan ruler, and nothing happens. There's no judgment or anything, nothing happens. Not a few of those who were with him also saw all which was unlawful for any other men to see, but only for the high priest. There were in that temple the golden table, the holy candlestick, the pouring vessels, a great quantity of spices and besides these were among the treasures 2,000 talents of sacred money. Cha-ching, okay, there is money everywhere in this story. Yet did Pompey touch nothing of all this on account of his regard to religion, and in this point also he acted in a manner that was worthy of his virtue. Now that's interesting, he went in, he looked, he didn't do anything, he didn't ransack it, he left it alone, And even though his act was viewed as an act of sacrilege, there was a recognition that he didn't do everything he could have done and what a normal ruler would do. Now we move to the Roman rule proper. Aristobulus II's resistance in refusing tribute, uh, and after three months, the city fell. Hyrcanus II invites the Romans and Pompey in in 63. The Romans take control over Judea, Galilee, Perea, Idumea. Pompey goes in and defiles the temple, but he doesn't defile it as badly as he could. He asks for heavy tribute. Hyrcanus II is appointed high priest. He will remain high priest until the year 40 BC, until Herod the Great is made. Uh, the ruler by Rome, and then Herod goes about the business of securing that rule. That takes him to 37 B.C. Now, the effects of all this are that Jewish cultural identity is struggling to maintain itself in its interaction with Hellenism. The Gentiles are consistently putting pressure on the Jews to be different. Political pressure, social pressure, etc., There is an aristocracy that involves the Sadducees uh, and the Hasmoneans, and they largely are against the Pharisees, although they do allow the Pharisees in to try and create some stability before finally things collapse. There is foreign presence. With it, there is the presence of tribute and taxes, and that leads to resentment. And there is the longing for a true deliverance The book written after Pompey takes Rome, that is among the more famous of the intertestamental pieces of literature, is a book called the Psalms of Solomon. In the Psalms of Solomon, there is expressed an unrestrained hope for a military deliverer to bring Israel out of this chaos. This figure you and I know as the Messiah. Here's a portion of the Psalms of Solomon, chapters 17 and 18, which, uh, this is section from chapter 17, which depicts this hope. Behold, O Lord, raise up unto them their king, the son of David, at the time in which you see, O God, that he may reign over Israel your servant, and gird him with strength, that he may shatter unrighteous rulers, and that he may purge Jerusalem from nations that trample her down to destruction." wisely, righteously, he shall thrust out the sinners from the inheritance. He shall destroy the pride of the sinner as a potter's vessel. With a rod of iron he shall break in pieces all their substance. He shall destroy the godless nations with the word of his mouth, At his rebuke nations shall flee before him. He shall reprove sinners for the thoughts of their heart. And with that declaration from the Psalms of Solomon, Pompey and Rome established their footprint in Israel, but Israel, the pious in Israel, never give up the hope that one day God will deliver them and give them a righteous ruler because the Hasmoneans have failed in this regard.